17. So Isaiah 7, verses 10 to 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, that it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And now we're actually going to skip down to Isaiah chapter 8. I want to read the first four verses of Isaiah 8. I know it's not on the board, uh, but I thought it would be profitable to read these verses too. We'll read the first four verses of Isaiah 8. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother... The wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Now let's turn to Isaiah 9, the first seven verses. This is about uh, the birth of another son. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's now respond together, singing hymn 16, stanzas 1 and 4.
The text for this morning's sermon is Matthew 1, the verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, humans were created to live with God. And that's an amazing thought. Humans were made to live with God. We are only creatures, finite. God is infinite. He is the perfect creator, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. God is the greatest good. God created us so that we might enjoy Him forever. That we might praise Him always in His presence. And there's no greater joy than that, to praise God with all of your being. He is the greatest good in this world, in, in that, that there is. Of course, in our foolishness and our rebellion, we turned our backs on God. We all turned away. We threw away the best thing imaginable, fellowship with God. And we brought upon ourselves death and eternal misery. Now, humans are still trying to live forever. Many people, even scientists, are trying to find out ways we can prolong human life, perhaps even indefinitely. That's what some people hope. But the problem is they're still trying to live forever without God. And that will never bring humans true joy. What we really need is to be saved. To be brought, to be made fit to live in God's presence again. Fellowship with God needs to be restored. That's humans, humanity's greatest need, to restore fellowship with God. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. God did not leave us in our state of misery apart from Him. He sent His very own Son into this world. And this is the reason why God the Son came came to this earth so that we might live forever with God. 
Well, Christmas is often a happy time for many of us. Nice to spend time with family and friends, enjoying fellowship. Christmas is also a lonely time for many. Sometimes we wish there was someone special in our lives that could remind us of people who have passed away. But with the coming of the Son of God into this world, He has restored fellowship with God. We know that the broke, any brokenness we face at this Christmas time will not last. God came to restore and to heal. That brings us to the sermon theme. God's Son came to earth to live with us so that we might live forever with God. We have two points, the coming of the Son of God, and second, the saving power of the Son of God. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes the birth of Christ in this way. Christ's mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, similar to our engagement. But before they came together in marriage and physical union... Mary was found to be pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, of course, discovered that she was expecting a baby. And he decided he had better exit the situation. It says that Joseph, being a just or a righteous man, unwilling to put her to public shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, why are these details about Joseph here? Why are they important? Well, they're important for two main reasons. So, first, this situation shows the importance of Joseph's involvement in this situation. Even though the child is not Joseph's natural child, he needs to be involved just as much as Mary. And notice how the angel calls him Joseph, the son of David. Joseph is heir to the throne of David. If the kingship were still established in Israel, in Judah, Joseph would be sitting on the throne. And if Jesus is to fulfill the role of the Messiah, he needs rightful access to David's throne. So Joseph needs to be involved. So Joseph cannot divorce Mary. God's plan involves him just as much as her. But that's not all. Joseph's actions here are important for another reason. They show us, they confirm for us that Joseph is not the natural father of the Lord Jesus. He found out Mary was pregnant and decided to divorce her. He would not do that if he himself were the reason Mary was pregnant. In fact, he would stay with her if that were the case. But his desire to get out of this betrothal shows that he's not the natural father. And yes, the child was indeed conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph stayed with Mary as the angel of the Lord commanded him. The end of the text states that Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. The angel told Joseph, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 22 states, 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, verse 22, the, the words of Isaiah, they're almost an exact match to what the angel tells Joseph in a dream. Right? The angel told Joseph, she has conceived from the Holy Spirit, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. But of course, there's one important difference, and it's the, the name part. The angel tells Joseph that they shall call his name Jesus. The prophet Isaiah says that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why the difference? Well, the child is also called Emmanuel because in these events of Jesus' birth are text sees the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7, which we read. The fulfillment begins in Isaiah 7. In that chapter, King Ahaz is worried. He's worried about an invasion from Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, king of Israel. So here's Ahaz in the south. He's worried about two kings in the north coming to invade him. But the Lord tells Ahaz not to be afraid, but to trust in him, trust in the Lord. The Lord then gives Ahaz a sign. He says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And before that child grows up, the two kings that you fear, their countries will be laid waste. Ahaz does not need to be afraid. He can be firm in his faith. Now, there's an initial fulfillment of the promised child of Isaiah 7. And the initial fulfillment probably takes place in Isaiah 8, which we read also through Isaiah's own child. There we read that Isaiah went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. You see, the word for virgin in Hebrew can also mean a young woman of marriageable age. It's the same word. So the initial fulfillment of Isaiah 7 probably happens through the child of this prophetess. She bore a son. The Lord told Isaiah to call him Meher Shalal Hashbaz, which means something like quickly to the plunder. And he's, the Lord says, for before the boy knows how to cry, my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, the two kings they had feared, they'll be carried away before the king of Assyria. Right? So this is exactly what God was promising in Isaiah 7. A child will be born. Before the child grows up, those two kings will be laid waste. So that's probably the first fulfillment of this prophecy. Or text sees a greater double fulfillment of the child God promised to send in Isaiah 7. And the greater fulfillment is probably hinted at in Isaiah 9. There we read about another child to be born. And this child is much greater than the child of Isaiah 8. There we read it. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And this, of course, refers to our Lord Jesus Christ. He indeed is mighty God, 
as Isaiah 9 proclaims. He's the greater fulfillment of God's promise in Isaiah 7 that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This is what happened in the conception and birth of Jesus Christ. A true virgin conceives and bears a child, just like Isaiah describes. And he truly is Emmanuel, God with us. And this is also testified to by the other name by which he is called, Jesus. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. You shall call this child's name Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. See, in Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, he has come to save us from all of our sins. That's also why the name Emmanuel fits him perfectly. He's God with us. God on earth with a human nature. God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to save his people. And this is the astounding truth we celebrate at Christmas. Almighty God came to dwell on on earth with humans. As we confessed in the Nicene Creed, the Son of God, who's God's only begotten Son, God of God, light of light, true God of true God. He came to live upon this earth with a frail human nature, with all of its infirmities, sicknesses, weaknesses. And this is such an amazing thing our God has done. The Son of God will never discard His human nature. He has it for all eternity. And this is why we praise Him with all of our heart. Think of how loving and how serving He is to do this. Humble Himself in this way. Come to this earth to save us. You know, we humans, we threw away fellowship with God. God could have simply condemned us all right away. But God in His love had this great plan. And God the Son came to live here among us to restore fellowship with God. Beloved, let us worship Him, not only this day, but every day for this indescribable gift. Let us love Him with all of our heart. Takes us to our next point. The Son of God came to this earth on a wonderful mission. The angel told Joseph, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this is the reason why the Son of God came. Came on a rescue mission. This world fell into sin and Adam, sin spread to all people, all of us, through Adam. Romans 5 puts it like this, sin came into this world through one man, 
And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And judgment followed one trespass and brought condemnation. And that's the bad news. We all sat under that sentence in and of ourselves. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve that judgment of condemnation. But this is why God sent His Son to earth. This is why the Son of God was willing to become man. She'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the saving work has two main parts. He came to save us from the punishment of sin that hung over our heads. And he also came to save us from the power of sin that lives in our hearts. We're going to explore both these things. So first of all, Christ came to save us from the punishment of sin. And what is that punishment? Scripture says the wages of sin is death. God's wrath is upon all those who have broken his law. And since all people have sinned, this curse of the law rests upon everyone. But Christ came in our human flesh to bear this punishment to all who repent of their sins and believe in Him. Though Christ knew no sin Himself, He was counted as a sinner. He was counted as a transgressor. Though he himself kept God's law perfectly, he was treated as a lawbreaker. And why did this happen? He did these things for his people. He came bearing our sin, our curse, our shame. He came to suffer for us and in our place. And His suffering for us culminated in His death on the cross. And there the wrath of God was poured upon Him in full. The curse of the law, the full curse of the law came down upon Christ. And there He died to pay the wages of sin for all who believe in Him. We have beautiful statements about this precious truth in our confessions. I'm reminded of the words of Article 21 of the Belgic Confession. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent His Son to assume that nature in which disobedience had been committed, to bear the punishment of sin by His most bitter passion and death. And God therefore showed his justice against his son when he laid our iniquity on him and poured out his goodness and mercy on us. Such beautiful words. 
they're such wonderful things we cannot even begin to describe how great they are. Remember, this is what we're truly celebrating at Christmas. I'm sure many of you enjoy getting together with people you love, enjoying nice dinners, nice desserts. Those things, too, are gifts from God. We should thank Him. But nothing compares with this, that Christ came into this world to bear our punishment for us so that we would not have to. There's nothing greater than that gift. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And may you all keep that in focus on this day. Our tendency is so easily to focus on the material things. Food, presents, all those things. But may you never lose focus of what is truly important. The greatest gift of all, Christ in our place. So that's the first thing. The Lord Jesus saves us from the punishment of sin that we deserve. But that's not all. Christ Jesus also saves us from the power of sin in our lives and in our hearts. And this is no less important. Every day we face temptations... We face a struggle against sin. We have an old sinful nature calling us back to our old lives of sin and shame. Sometimes we're caught up in slavery to sin. And sin is an awful life. Sin always leads to death of some kind. All sin leads to death and misery. That's the nature of sin. And you must understand that if you allow sin to go on in your life, it's going to produce death for you. There's consequences for sin. This is also why we need to be saved from sin's powerful influence. We need to be saved from our old nature, and that's also why Christ came to earth. The Apostle Paul describes his own struggle against sin in Romans 7, and finally he calls out, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And that's what we need too. But he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. She'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, also from sin's powerful influence. How does he do it? Again, through his death and resurrection. Through Christ's death, our old nature was put to death in Christ. And this happens so that sin would no longer rule our lives. We've been made alive in Christ. Titus 2 verse 14, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He bought us back from a life of sin. How can we then live in it any longer who have been redeemed by Christ? See what he's done. Put to death a sin in your lives. Christ came to save you from sin's life-sucking grip. 
You see, in Christ Jesus, we are raised to new life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Through faith, you are in Christ. You are a new creation. And through that union with him, we will become more like him. And Christians will become more and more righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit. Take, for example, Joseph from our text. The text says that he was a just or a righteous man. Yes, he too needed a savior. He too was first of all righteous by faith. However, by the power of the Spirit, he became more and more righteous in himself. That's why Christ came too. That we would learn to forsake sin. And grow in righteousness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can grow in this. It's not perfect in this life. No believer is perfect in this life. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow more and more righteous. So these two things are what it means that Jesus saves us from all our sins. But there's still a greater ultimate purpose that he came to do so. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. However, the reality of Emmanuel Emmanuel was not meant only to be a reality when the Son of God was on earth. The Lord Jesus saves us from our sins so that we would enjoy the reality of Emmanuel forever. So that we would enjoy God with us forever. And this is the ultimate purpose of why Christ came and gave his life. 1 Peter 2 puts it clearly when it says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This was the goal, that he might bring you to God, into God's presence. It's no good if Christ pays for our sins only to leave us by ourselves again. No, we need God. We need fellowship with God. This is why the Son of God came, so that we might live in blessed fellowship with God forever. And Christ secured this future reality for His people. Believers already have a down payment of this coming reality. And down payment is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He lives in believers. He's God with us. He's the beginning of this reality of Emmanuel forever. The future that awaits believers is beautifully described in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
That's the future that awaits believers. If God has done that for us, how then shall we live? Let us become like our God. Think of this. The God, God the Son was willing to come to this earth full of humility, full of love, with a servant attitude. The only respond, appropriate response from us is to become like Him. Listen again to 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for Him who for their sake died and was raised. This is also why Christ came. It's why He died, that you would no longer live for yourself, but for Him who for your sake died and was raised to life again. Are you laying down your life in love for others? This is what the Son of God did for us. See what He's done for you. And now go. Do not live for yourself. Live for others out of love for your Savior. Amen. Let us now respond by singing together hymn 19, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Thank you. 